0: Will you turn your Bibles, please, again to a portion we read in Mark chapter 8? Mark chapter 8, and we'll seek the Lord momentarily in the words of prayer. Let's ask for His help upon the preaching of the word now. And let's pray. Our Father and our God, we just still ourselves now in the most holy presence. We thank Thee, Lord, again for the wonderful truth there that we've been singing about that the Saviour is alive that he didn't stay in the grave, that on the third day he rose and then he ascended to be in glory with the Father. He's at the right hand now as our intercessor, as our advocate who intercedes continually in our behalf. And what a wonderful truth it is to know that we have one in the glory who is praying for us today. And we pray, Lord, even to that end, that Thou will just give us the desires of our heart. You think particularly of this meeting again, Lord, that you will just give help now in the preaching of thy word. We thank thee for thy word, that it is sharper than a two-edged sword. We pray, Lord, as we think upon the verses here in this passage, that it will even just thrill our hearts. It will thrill our souls as we look at Christ, and we look even at our great duty to serve him. We pray, Lord, that we all would be up to that task, Lord, that we would serve thee to the best of our ability. Lord, we've been saved to serve. We've been saved, Lord, to, to work for thee. Lord, the Word of God says we're to work Well, we can, because the night cometh when no man can work. We pray, Lord, even to that end, that you will even take me up and use me. You'll fill me afresh with thy Holy Ghost. You'll take away any nerves and fears, Lord, that come with even handling thy Word and doing this awesome task, Lord, a privilege that it is, Lord, but it is also a very solemn thing. Lord, I know I cannot do it of my own strength. And to that end, I pray you'll even just help me, Lord. You'll take me up and use me. We pray for all who've gathered today, all who are listening and online, that it'll be a word in season to their hearts, that you'll prepare their heart to receive Thy word, and in all things, Lord, we'll even leave this house in a little while, knowing that it was good to meet with Thee, because here we met with the Lord, and we were challenged, and we were encouraged, and Lord, that is what we want every time that we come to Thy house. We pray to that, hand, Lord, you'll come and even be with us now. You'll help us, and you'll take away all distractions from our minds for the, what will to come this week. But it will be this time to spend even sweet fellowship with thee. For it's in Jesus' name we ask and pray those things. Amen. Society today is obsessed with cost. And I make that statement because one of the first questions that you will ask or someone will ask you is this, how much does that thing cost or how much does this thing cost? And that's particularly a question that will be asked if you know anyone from Balaboni or anyone from Ballymina, because folk upside that part of the country, they don't like to part with their money. And yet in all seriousness, it is something we continually find ourselves talking about. You go to fill up your car with petrol or diesel, and every time you go, the price is only seeming to increase. You go to do your shopping maybe once a week, whatever uh, your schedule is, and you look at the bill, and again, your shopping bill has increased. And it's getting to that time of year, isn't it? Whenever winter's approaching, we start to think about getting some gas in or some oil into the tank to prepare for the winter. If you haven't already done that, I would suggest you would do it soon because I was just looking this past week at filling our oil tank and I was shocked at the price of oil because in the one month, from July to August, the price has increased from 58p a litre to 70p a litre. That's an increase of £60 in just one month. And if you go next month, no doubt it will be even more expensive because, of course, as the temperatures go down, the price will go up. But We are going to consider, of course, what we read here in Mark chapter 8. Because in Mark chapter 8, we find mention made of a cost. A cost of something. But the cost that Mark here is speaking about, it's nothing to do with money because he's speaking here about the cost that is attached with being a Christian or a disciple of Jesus Christ. And principally, what is a disciple? Well, a disciple of Jesus Christ is a Christian. You can't be one unless you're the other. If you're not a Christian, you can't be a disciple of Christ. If you're not a disciple of Christ, then you're not a Christian. And that word disciple here, it is a word that means one who learns. It's one who learns by inquiry, one who learns by the use and practice of what they've been taught. We can think of a disciple this morning as being a pupil. Maybe that thought scares you this morning because you didn't like school, and the thought of you being as a pupil, you don't want to go back to that. But every pupil has to have a teacher. And in the Bible, we discover that it's the Lord Jesus Christ who is this teacher. In Matthew chapter 11 and verse 29, we read the words there, Christ says to his people, you're to learn of me. You see, all here, are Christ, There to be taught by Christ. We are to learn from Christ. And yet, what does it mean today to learn from Christ? What does it mean to be a disciple? Well, it means we're to learn his doctrines, what's contained in the Word of God. But we must also learn from the testimony of regarding how he lived his life. You see, it's not just a head knowledge. It's, of course, important to know your Bible and to understand those things. But we must endeavor to put that into practice in our own lives as we seek to walk worthy of Him in holiness and in righteousness. And, of course, Christ has appointed teachers for the church today, ministers, pastors, those who are to shepherd the flock. And the responsibility of every minister or pastor or student or lay preacher is not to bring their own ideas, it's not to bring their own ways into the pulpit, what is to do as is, is commanded in the Word of God, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 5, that verse says we preach not ourselves, but Jesus Christ the Lord. To be a disciple means we are to follow Jesus. And yet in seeking to do that, you must realize that there's going to be a cost attached with that. And in Mark chapter 8 and verse 34, we're given somewhat of an insight to that cost, because read that verse with me. It says, And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross and follow me. And this morning, that's the verse I want to consider with you. It's the words here in verse 34. And taking these words, we're going to consider very simply the subject, the cost of true discipleship. The cost of true discipleship. And there are three very simple thoughts that flow out from verse 34. First thing I want you to see with me is that the true disciple must deny himself. He must deny himself because look at what it says. It says, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself. You have it plain and simple there in our English language. We're to deny ourselves. And that word deny, it has a multitude of meanings. It's a word here that means to forget oneself. It means to lose sight of one's own interests. It's to reject self. Because if a Christian is to deny themselves, they must have the ability to say no to self. Many will liken such actions of self-denial as, you need to give up this thing. You deny yourself of this thing or that thing. And yes, that's part of it. But it's so much more than that commenting upon these words. It was Warren Wiersbe who said this. He said, "'Denying self is not the same as self-denial "'because we practice self-denial "'when, for a good purpose, "'we occasionally give up our things or activities, "'but we deny self "'when we surrender ourselves to Christ "'and determine to obey His will. "'We deny self "'when we surrender ourselves to Christ.' and we determine to obey His will. You see, denying ourselves is not simply giving up a few habits or a few desires, because true denial, as is required in verse 34, it involves bringing our whole being, our bodies and our souls, into subjection with the Lord. And yet, how do we get to such a place? Well, in order to fully deny ourselves, it's essential that each of us today recognize that the problems that we encounter in life... Or because we consult our own will. We live our own way, and we often do our own things. Because our inward sinful nature, it naturally desires after self. We continually battle against the flesh, and yet with the help of the Lord, we can overcome such desires. Think of his disciples there, when they came to Christ and said, Lord, teach us to pray. What was it that Christ said in the third petition? He says, Thy will be done. And that's where we need to get ourselves to. Lord, I only want what you'd have me to do today. I'm ready to give up all. I'm ready to deny all for you because I only want what you would have for my life. If you turn with me in your Bibles, please, today to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. Because we have an example there of one who failed to deny himself. In Matthew chapter 19, we have a young man and he seeks out Christ. And he asks Christ the question regarding how he might attain eternal life. And you read what Christ says to him there in verses 21 and 22. Matthew chapter 19 and verse 21. Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven And come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And obviously, this young man wanted to go to heaven. That's the desire of all in this world. They mightn't want to admit it, but everyone will tell you, I want to go to heaven when I die. But this man didn't want to give up his earthly possessions, he wasn't ready to deny himself of those things. But you turn back now in your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. And then you read those words in verses 36 and 37. And they're well-known words. I'm sure many of you could quote them by heart. Mark chapter 8 and verse 36. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? You see, to love the things of the world more than your eternal soul will bring you no profit. That's the simple teaching here. They'll bring you no comfort when you go into eternity because they can do nothing to save your soul. All the riches, all the treasures of the world, they appeal into insignificance when compared to the value of your soul. In denying ourselves, we must be willing to put the things of God before our own comforts, before the things of the world, even before our own personal welfare, if needs be. And we don't live, of course, in such a state We can preach the gospel freely. We can meet here in a free manner. But that's a thought that Christ says in verse 35 of Mark chapter 8. He says, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. And life is precious. Life is a valuable thing. And we as Christians should do everything we can to preserve life. And yet what this verse is teaching us is this, that if push were to come to shove, and if you and I were backed into a corner, what would we do? Would we deny Christ in order to save ourselves? Or would we be willing to die and to lose our lives rather than to deny Christ? You see, while the Christian here were exhorted in verse 34 to deny self, we see also that being a true disciple... And all that is associated with that, it's a voluntary thing. It's up to you to do that. He says, whosoever will come after me. In other words, Christ is saying, if you want to be my disciple, you have a choice to make here. Because you can take the easy option, you can follow after the world. Or you can take the difficult option, and you can follow after me. But if you choose to deny me now in this world, then I will deny you in the world to come. And that's the awful Warning we have here at the end of this chapter. Because look at verse 38. He says, Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And you look at those words and they literally translate it like this. That whosoever may be Or whosoever is ashamed of me. And when you read it that way, Christ is using language that's in the present tense. It's he's saying, if you choose to deny me now, right at this moment, then I will be ashamed of you, and I will deny you when I come the second time. What does it mean to be ashamed? Well to be ashamed here it means to be unwilling. It means to be restrained from doing something because of fear or shame. And really what Christ is trying to emphasize here is that if we deny him, then we're saying we're ashamed of what we are. We're afraid of what people might think of us, and we're ashamed of the one who was never ashamed for us when he went to the cross and he died for our sin. And yet who can honestly say this morning that they haven't been guilty of doing that very thing, because I know I certainly have. Kept quiet when we should have said something. Being afraid of how people would react what they might say maybe you're the only Christian in your workplace I know that was my experience too and it's difficult isn't it you're the only Christian and you want to take your stand for the Lord but what if someone says this and what if they shun me what if they treat me like an outcast because people can be so fearless people can be so brave when it comes to many things but whenever we're challenged by our faith at times we shrink away in fear I think a very wonderful and a very obvious example of that in the Bible, it's Peter. And you study Peter's life and how many times you see a fearless man there. You have him in Gethsemane. He's the one who rushes up and cut off Malchus's ear. He's the one here who declares the earth to Christ. He's the one that says, Lord, I will never deny you. And yet he comes to Pilate's judgment hall. Do you know Christ? Three times... He says, I don't know the man. Because Peter allowed the fear of man and what man could do to him to overcome his love for the Savior. And Christ's people today, his doctrines, they've never been popular in this world. And yet to be a true disciple, we must endeavor to deny self. Because I say this today, it's better to be despised and rejected by men than to have Christ deny you before the Father on the day of judgment unless we deny ourselves, we cannot do what follows in verse 34. Because whilst the true disciple here is to deny himself, the second thing I want you to see is this, that the true disciple must die to self. Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. We're to take up his cross. And it's important here that When we look at those words, we notice that pronoun, his. It's his cross. But Christ isn't referring here to the cross that he would bear because none but Christ could do what Christ did. None but Christ could live that perfect life. None are perfect in righteousness. None of are perfect in holiness. None could obey the law perfectly. None are without sin. And therefore, what the cross here in verse 34 is speaking about, it is speaking about our personal crosses. All who come after Christ, that cross we must bear in being Christians. And again, I want you to note here it's voluntary. It's a voluntary action because to take something up, it means here to do it willingly. There's no coercion. There's no being forced into doing this here. And when Jesus Christ said these words to his disciples, they understood exactly what he meant. No strangers to the custom of crucifixion. As they walked the roads, crosses on both sides, robbers, bandits, crucified. Christ was clear about what such a thing would cost. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't play it down. He tells them exactly what it means. Because to take up this cross, it was to suffer persecution and rejection and affliction all for the cause of Christ. We have similar words recorded in the other Gospels, in the Gospel of Matthew, in the Gospel of Luke. You turn with me to Luke's Gospel a moment, to Luke chapter 9. And you read what he says in verse 23. Verse 23. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. Because such behavior here is to be daily, it's to be a continual thing every single day. It's part of our routine, it's part of our practice as Christians. And taking up this cross, it involves constantly dying to self. It's dying to the world. That's Paul's testimony in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, I die daily. And in daily taking up, the cross is here. We're exercising Christ's likeness And Christ knew that the cross would bring suffering. It would bring agony for him. And yet he submitted to the will of the Father. He said, not my will, but thine. Paul's testimony in Philippians chapter 2, he was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Because to take up this cross today, believer, it is to proclaim a faith that much of the world despises. It's to live a life that the world calls too strict, and it's outdated, and it's not for today. And because of that, our crosses can be such a heavy thing to bear. And yet Paul, again, as he often does in his writings, he encourages the child of God. Because what is it he says in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13? He says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. It's the same Jesus Christ who we read about in Matthew chapter 11, in verse 28, who asks that you bring your heavy burdens to him. Matthew 11 and 28, he says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What a tremendous privilege it is to know that Christ lightens our loads. He helps us carry these crosses and he hasn't left us alone to fight our battles. He's equipped us for the battle. Ephesians chapter 6, he's given us the whole armor of God to aid us in the battle. The devil will come with those fiery darts and he'll fire them at you, but we have the whole armor of God. There was a book written by a man called William Penn. And that book is called No Cross, No Crown. It was written in 1669 whilst he was imprisoned for his faith in the Tower of London. And that book, it largely deals with the importance of self-denial and of cross-bearing. And when you think about the title there, it's No Cross, No Crown. What does that mean? Well, it means that just as Jesus Christ could not achieve the kingdom of heaven without the cross... So, none of us can expect to achieve anything worthwhile without pain. It was former President Theodore Roosevelt who made the following statement He said, Nothing in the world is worth having or worth doing unless it means effort, pain, or difficulty. And whilst there's very little that I would agree with that man about, I have to admit I agree with that statement. Because it is exactly the same with the Christian faith. Nothing in the world is worth having or worth doing unless it means effort, pain, and difficulty. And to be a true disciple, to do as Christ has done, will mean difficulty and pain and slandering and mocking. But again, we can be encouraged today when we come to the Word of God, not by looking to the world, but by coming to God's Word. It's John chapter 16 and verse 33. I think it's one of the most tremendous verses in all of Scripture. Speaking to his disciples, and he says, These things have I spoken to you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, because I have overcome the world. And that verse has been a great source of comfort and encouragement to me personally on so many occasions in my Christian life. And I think the most amazing thing about this promise is this, that when Christ speaks to his disciples here, when he makes that promise, he hadn't been to the cross. And yet such was the certainty that he would accomplish what he said he was going to do, that he can bring them comfort here. And we today, we know that he's been to the cross. He's finished the work. And therefore, what tremendous comfort that is to us today, to know that he's overcome the world. He's in control of all things. He's continually putting all enemies under his footstool. We can trust him in his command to take up our crosses daily. The true disciple must deny himself, he must die to self. But the third thing I want you to see is this that the true disciple must direct himself. And that's seen at the end of verse 34. He says, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And a Christian who's obeyed these first two exhortations, who's denied themselves, who has, and who's daily taking up that cross, Christ now commands that we are to follow him. And that word follow here, it means to follow one who proceeds. It's to accompany somebody as a fellow traveler. And when you think about it that way, what joy and what a privilege it is today to be a Christian and to be able to walk in fellowship with Christ. We're able to follow after him. But what exactly does it mean to follow after him? Is he following after Christ? It's not simply a case of knowing your doctrine. It's not simply a case of obeying the commandments, trusting him for salvation. All of those are essential, particularly salvation. But to follow him, as he's saying here, it literally means to imitate him in all things. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21, he puts it plain and simple for us. He says, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that we should follow his steps. And that word example, it's specific too. Peter. It's the only time we read it in the entire New Testament. And it gives the idea of a copying for another from another. And again, when I think of that, I'm brought back to school. Because I don't know what it was like whenever you were in school, but I remember learning our alphabet, and you were given a book with all the letters in the alphabet. And your teacher would give you some tracing paper. So you traced the letters, you shaded it in, you, you put it onto a, a page, and it was a perfect copy, wasn't it? And you bring that in into what Christ is saying here, what his word is saying. Because he's left clear traces, perfect traces in his word that we might follow after him. You see, Christ humbled himself. And that means as believers we are always to be humble. He put others above himself, and so must we. O oh, our Lord, he never gloried in self, and therefore neither should we. And I think Paul's words are appropriate. Galatians 6 and 14. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. A true disciple of Jesus Christ is one who forsakes all to follow him. In fact, look, he goes as far in his gospel to say that if you don't do that, if you do not forsake all, you cannot be his disciple. And we have that in Luke chapter 14, verse 33. Whosoever he be of you, that forsaketh not all that he have, he cannot be my disciple. And the Scriptures, they speak of many who obeyed this command to follow Christ. In this very book, we're considering Mark chapter 1. You have Simon Peter. You have his brother Andrew. They forsook all they had. They forsook their livelihoods as fishermen to follow Christ. The same chapter there, you have James and John, in verses 19 and 20. You have Levi or Matthew. Luke chapter 5 and 28, he was a tax collector, but he left it all to follow Christ. What about those who Christ healed? Because again, many of them followed after him. And therefore, we today who've been saved out of our sin, we ought to be following after him also. Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1, they command us to do that very thing. A verse begins with the words, you're to be ye for followers of God. To follow Christ today, it means you're to walk with him. John chapter 10, verse 27, he says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Following Christ, it means it will bring you heavenly honor. In John chapter 12 and 26, if any man serve me, let him follow me. Him will my father honor following Christ means that one day we will reign with Christ. Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12 If we suffer, we shall reign with Him. And as joint heirs with Christ today, we shall suffer with Him, but we shall be glorified with Him in heaven one day. If we finished this morning. I just want to leave a question with you. Have you denied all your worldly lusts? all the worldly pleasures. Have you denied self today? Are you taking up that cross, and are you following Christ today? Because if you are today, and you're doing it today to the best of your ability, then all I have to say is keep doing it. Keep following after the Lord. Keep looking to Him. But if you're here today, and you're not following after Christ, then who are you following after? Well, you're following after the world. And what does it mean today to follow after the world? It means to follow after darkness, to follow after wickedness and sin, all of which will bring nothing but eternal damnation to your soul. And therefore, follow Christ today. Follow after the one whom John describes as the light of the world. John chapter 8 and verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And a light, it has many functions, doesn't it? But the main function of a light is to help you when you're in darkness. It illuminates your path. And if you're here today without the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're not saved, then your sin has you in darkness. Because that sin has blinded your eyes from the truth. And you need a light to help you find your way. John 14 and 6, it tells us the one who is that way. It's Christ. It's Christ who's described in John 14 and 6 as the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. And it can't be any simpler than that today because he's the only way of salvation. He's the only way in which you'll ever be in heaven. There's no other way but Jesus. And if you're not saved today, then my prayer and my earnest desire would be that you would come to him You would come to one who is the light of the world, who is the way, who is the truth, who is the life, and you would ask him to save you even now. Because what is preventing you from following Christ today? Is it what you'd have to give up? Earthly possessions. I'm not quite ready yet. And I hear this message every week from this pulpit, and I know I need to be saved but just not yet. If that's you today. Remember what God's Word says. Mark chapter 8 and verse 36. What shall a profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and yet lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What are you seeking after today? Earthly riches that will fade, will corrupt, Can't take with you. Prestige, honor, titles, rank. Again, they'll go. But there's one thing that will never die, and that's your soul. It's the most valuable thing you have, and you walk around it with every day, and you don't even realize it. To lose your soul is to lose it forever. No second chances. I trust and pray with all my heart that if you're not saved today that you would come and you put your trust in him. If you're saved today, I trust there's been encouragement for you also. You'll see the need, the desire to follow Christ, to serve him to the best of your ability. That starts with me as the preacher. But I trust and pray that it will challenge you also all today to be up to doing much for the Lord. May God write that word upon our hearts today. And may we think about it this afternoon. And may we come out again tonight in the gospel because the gospel is a delight. It's a privilege to know you're saved and what better place to be than in God's house to hear the glorious words of truth on how Jesus Christ has saved you.